Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Our next guest is Pamela A. Davis, the founder of Queen of Resilience, Inc., Pamela created QOR to provide women, especially college women, with quality support in mental health awareness. She encourages, mentors, and empowers women to become the best versions of themselves by instilling the true essence of resiliency while becoming conquerors. Davis is an empowerment speaker, event manager, HR professional, and singer who is determined to increase mental health awareness one queen at a time. We give you Miss Pamela A. Davis. Thank you so much for joining the Blind Stigma podcast. And thank you for being a part of changing the stigma. We're thank gonna, you. You're welcome. We're going to start off by asking you to please tell us your story. Sure. So I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, in a single parent household with my late mother, May Helen Richards, who was God-fearing, resilient, full of wisdom, and definitely a fashionista. I have an older brother, Derek Richard, who is a creative genius. He keeps me grounded, and he is my biggest supporter. Mm. He took on the role as a father figure to me because my father was absent in my early years. At a young age, I learned the importance of taking, taking care of someone who you love. It made me to always have a servant spirit and become a servant leader. My mom used to always tell me this story that when the physician was performing a C-section while she was having me, she overheard them say that her kidneys were failing. I knew then that she, that when she told me that story, that she made a great sacrifice just to have little old me. By hearing that story, I knew I was special and greatness lied inside of me. I'm reminded of a quote by Dorothy Irene Height, and it says, Greatness is not measured by what a man or woman accomplished, but by the opposition that he or she has overcome to reach the goal. Throughout my life, my mother has always struggled with her health. And a few years after I was born, my mom did go on dialysis. Society likes to use a word, a four-letter word, which is known as sick. And it doesn't mean that you should behave as such. My mother never lived her life as being sick, but being brave, full of laughter, and definitely resilient. The childhood question that we all have to answer is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And by the time I was in the 12th grade, I knew that I wanted to become a physician. I made sure that I was in every extracurricular activity that was centered around medicine and science. In 2007, I made a decision to go to the University of Missouri-Columbia and major in pre-med biology. Leaving St. Louis, Missouri was difficult for me because I did not want to leave my mother. I know Missouri is only about two hours away from St. Louis, but I have to admit, I'm definitely spoiled. That same year, I received a phone call that changed my life. While leaving a tutoring session, walking back to Johnson Hall, I'm sure I was in the session for biology or chemistry, and my brother informed me that my uncle Ornette had passed away. 
he was definitely a servant leader and someone who would give the shoes he had on to you if you were in need. He's a, he was a Vietnam vet and believed in pushing others to be at their best. At that time, I really didn't know how to feel, and I could tell that I was suppressing my emotions. I called on one of my good friends, Rachel Molden, and she met me in the lobby of Johnson Hall. Tears were streaming down my, fight, my face, and she said, let's take a walk. We had a conversation about what happened with my uncle, and then I went back into the room. I knew I had to go home and face and face reality. And as my family moved forward with planning the arrangements, I was still in the daze. I was okay during the wake, but there was something different about the funeral. As soon as the casket was open, my breathing changed. I was still seated in the front row, praying that my breathing would return to normal. A couple of people passed by to view my uncle, and I knew I had to excuse myself from the service. I started hyperventilating and went into the lobby. And as I was in the lobby, I did a few breathing exercises and then went back into the service. Later on that evening, I was riding in the car with my brother, and I started to hyperventilate again. This time it was worse, and I could barely breathe. My brother called 911, and the paramedics started to put the oxygen mask on me. As you know, I told you earlier that I wanted to be a doctor. So I was trying to tell the paramedic what to do as well. Sitting in the ER, I was fearful and really thought I was about to die. And that night, the physician diagnosed me with having an anxiety attack. The first thing I asked was, what is an anxiety attack? Furthermore, he explained that anxiety attack involves a fear of a occurrence or problem that could happen. So some of the symptoms that I was experiencing was feeling anxious. There were changes in my heart rate tightens in the throat and shaking. Okay, can After I experiencing it in can the I just... ER, I went home and I maybe had one um another anxiety attack, but it was not severe as the first one. I packed my malongus and then I headed back to Mizzou. Okay, can I, I Pamela Pamela, yes. can we can we interject for one Dr. Natasha Brown can interject for one moment? Yeah, I just sure. I, so I just wanted to to ask a question because I think this is also just very fascinating as you're talking about these um, these symptoms of anxiety and panic that a lot of people are actually not familiar with. Was this the first time that you, um, as you recall, um, having these types of symptoms, or can you think of even times before this initial, um, you know, what they then diagnosed as a panic attack? Do do you recall having symptoms similar to this before in your past? I do not recall having any symptoms similar to the ones that I experienced on that evening. No, ma'am. Okay. Okay. So I guess the other question I have is, is then, um, had you, um, had you seen these symptoms similarly in others, like for example, either like your 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 mother or or other family members that had these similar symptoms? The reason I ask these questions is because a lot of times, especially with anxiety and panic, yes, we go through it as well. But then I also wonder if we take a look back, if we were if it's other family members, for example, that maybe suffered from the same symptoms, but we just didn't have a word for it, or that we didn't understand what they were going through either right and that makes real that makes really good sense i never um 
saw my mother have an anxiety attack or any of my family members have an anxiety attack, that's why it was really strange to me that I was experiencing this. So I never saw someone else have an anxiety attack. Okay, so it's 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 just very fascinating to hear, you know, how these symptoms had um had had played out in your life, and then also, I guess, you know, it sounds like you're now getting a bit of a, a better understanding at your first hospital visit, pretty much exactly what is going on, and they're starting to explain this to you. Could you also just share with us when you were first, um, when they first informed you that this was a panic attack? What was going on um, sort of in your mind um, as they're telling you all of this? So I believe what was really going on in my mind that literally when he told me that I had a panic attack or anxiety attack, which, which it really was an anxiety attack, what was the anxiety attack? So he told me that an anxiety attack is usually involves a fear of recurrence or a problem that could happen. So what was really going on in my mind is I really thought I was about to die. Um, I did not know what was going on, how on how I am going to manage this sickness, and how severe is it? So that was what was going on in my mind um, at the time. I was confused. I was definitely anxious as well. So the support of my family members and friends helped me uh, in this in this situation. Okay. So my next question would then be, you know, now that you had received this diagnosis from the doctor, they're then telling you, you know, these are the symptoms of what a panic attack is or anxiety attack. Um, How were you able to address um, the symptoms? It sounds like you had your support of your, your friends and family, but what about also from a more of like a treatment standpoint? How did, were you able to address the managing of these symptoms? Sure. So furthermore, uh, in the story, when I had that full-blown anxiety attack uh, that night of the funeral, uh, I went back to Mizzou and I took my finals. I was okay uh, towards the fall semester of 2007, but when I came back in the spring, I had another anxiety attack at the University of Missouri-Columbia, and one of my good friends took me to the physician. Um, At the time, that physician put me on a medication, and what the medication was actually doing is that it was assisting my symptoms, but I was slowly diminishing. Um, Also, in that same semester, I was put on academic probation. So I had to decide what I needed to do in order for me to become better. I did seek a counselor, and the counselor got uh, was able to get to the root of the issue. And the root of the issue that at the time that I was afraid to die and that with my uncle passing away, it made it look like that, wow, this can happen to me as well. So I um, addressed the situation definitely uh, by my faith. I believe that in your life, your spirituality uh, must come into your life. So I looked at scripture and made it sure that I applied those scripture, those scriptures to my life. Um, I also Again, like I said before, I had a strong support system with my mother and my brother. Eventually that uh, that year, that same semester, that summer when I came back home, uh, my mother suggested that I stop taking the medication because I would literally sit in a room and just stare at the wall. 
Um, also, I learned different coping techniques, and it was a church member uh, by the name of Brenda Brown. She was a nurse practitioner, and she taught me different coping techniques. And then my pastor at the time, Dr. Douglas Petty, he told me that I needed to start journaling. So journaling began and uh, became very um, journaling became very uh, prevalent in my life because I learned how to do it every day by putting my emotions and my feelings on. Um, the pages, and I went from dear journal to dear God. So now my journal entries are my prayers. My goodness, I mean, what I love, what I love, what I'm hearing about what you're saying is, is that, um, especially with anxiety and panic, I think a lot of times people think that there's only one way to to deal with the symptoms and to manage the symptoms. What you've um, what you've beautifully said is is that you know some ways have worked for you and other ways maybe were not as effective. But I think you it sounds like you had to go through that journey to figure some of that out for yourself. So I mean it sounds like a combination of psychotherapy, uh, journaling, prayer, uh, support from you know family and friends. All sounds like that that was you know helpful for you. Um, it sounds like the medication, unfortunately, was not helpful for you, but being able to to mitigate all of those things ended up being very important in terms of being able to understand what your own treatment was going to be looking like. Yes, ma'am, that, that is correct. So what, what also was fascinating is, is that um, even in the midst of all of all of these symptoms, um, it also I'm I'm also wondering um, about also symptoms of of sadness or depression. Were you also going through that at at this point in time, or does this or did that sort of surface later on? Uh, I believe that during the time of anxiety, I was going through depression. I kind of isolated myself. I really didn't tell my family what was going on. They knew, of course, about the anxiety attack. They they knew about the visit at the ER, but I really wasn't communicating to them like I should because I thought that I was an outcast. I thought that no one experienced this illness uh, but me. And that's, that's not true. I found out later on that's definitely not true. But um, yes, because so many people, uh, Pamela, there's so many people that wear this veil of shame when it comes That's to right. when it comes to especially depression, because we feel like we can't say this to anyone. We can't you know, we don't we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want people to be like, oh, there's nothing really going on or people to sugarcoat it or to keep it swept under the rug. But the majority of it is just the shame. And like you were saying, you didn't think that anybody else would probably understand or, or know what you're going through. Correct. That is correct. That's that's exactly how I felt, you know, and, and I'm glad that I was able to later on share my emotions and not always be so isolated and feeling like there wasn't anyone to help me with this situation. What are what are some of the symptoms you you experience while going through depression or is there a part of your story with depression that you'd like to share? Because I know we just went into it, but is there a part of more parts of your story that you want to continue with leading into depression? I think, I think with depression, um, it really made me want to be isolated and not want to go anywhere and sleep all day. Those are some of the symptoms that I felt with depression uh, while going through anxiety. Wow. Can you tell us where you are right now at the stage in your life? 
so right now I am growing. I'm still healing and overcoming every obstacle that comes into my life. Um, last year was definitely different uh, for me. Uh, my mother passed away in September of 2019, and I thought that I was okay, that mentally I was okay. But when grief hits you, it really turns your life upside down, and it feels like your emotions are flowing uncontrollably. So I know that I have to continue to read, study, and take the time to just breathe and be present in the moment. Um, I learned that this five-letter word uh, with grief that no one really instructs us how to cope is um, how to cope with grief. Um, and what I have learned that grief is teaching me is it's teaching me a greater level of resilience. And by my story from 2007, when I first had my anxiety attack, I used all of that pain and I turned it to purpose. And I started an organization called Queen of Resilience. And the purpose of Queen of Resilience is to teach women how to be resilient in every area of their life by increasing mental health awareness, mentorship, and professional development. So we believe in being brave, being censored, and being resilient. So I go into the high schools, I go into the colleges, and I talk to women my age as well um, to know that you can overcome any struggle and there is a story within you. I'm reminded of Michelle Obama in her book. She says, even when it's not pretty or perfect and even when it's more real than you want it to be, your story is what you have and what you will always have. And it is something to own. And now in my life, I am owning my story so I can be able to empower other women. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I truly believe in that. It's it's like your your you your pain is 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 like the doorway to your purpose. Oh you know? Goodness. And it, and it's like I loved how you're you're able to I wouldn't really say flipped how you're you're able to take that pain, the, take your struggles with anxiety and with the depression and to use it to help other women. Your organization, how long has your organization uh, organization been around? How long did you start it? Since 2017. Wow. Wow. And so you go into high schools, you said, you speak to women your age, you go into community centers as well? Yes. So, yes, I do. I go into um, colleges as well. I go into high schools as well. We had a program this summer, uh, this past summer, I'm sorry, in 2019 with Harrisville State University with the Upward Bound program and the Talent Search program. And the name of their program was the Meet the Queen and King Empowerment Program. And it's a program, the purpose of it is to equip students with the schools of becoming resilient mentally and professionally in order to establish a balanced life. So their program was a six-week program where we had life, licensed counselors come in. Uh, their graduation was um, consistent of a distress day where they could relax. So we had African dance, we had yoga. So our students can know how to cope with life because most of them do not. They know about uh, they know about mental health now. Some of them know about anxiety and depression and other mental illnesses, but it's not normalized. They just know about it. They just don't know how to cope with it. So when I ask um, some of the students, have you ever experienced anxiety? And over half of the room raised their hand. I knew that I was in the right work. Wow. That I was doing the right thing with starting this organization. Right now, we're going to, how, how do you think the black community in general, how do you think that we can change the stigma of how mental health is perceived? 
Sure. So I'm not sure um, if you know, but according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in four college students have a diagnosable illness, 40% do not seek help, 80% feel overwhelmed by their responsibilities, and 50% have become so anxious that they struggle with their academics. So in order for us to change the stigma, I believe that we have to be brave, we have to be censored, and we have to be resilient. And in our bravery, we have to normalize mental health, which have been overlooked, undervalued, and discriminated against for so many years. And you mentioned the Black community, especially by being a Black woman. We are expected to take on so many different roles and be a superhero and never show our emotions. So I believe with how we change the stigma is first we have to be brave enough to tell our story. I believe in telling um, your resilient story. And I actually uh, feature so many different women uh, in the St. Louis community and around the world on my Instagram page and on Facebook. So people are able to tell their story so they can be able to empower uh, someone else. And then just participating in self-care by being censored. When we think of being censored, it's working on ourselves internally first, so externally we can shine. Uh, it's great that we like to put on makeup and we like to uh, wear different hairstyles, but what are we doing internally? So to me, that is effective and that's how we change the stigma. We also change the stigma by uh, participating in uh, coping uh, mechanisms. What are we doing so we can prevent mental illnesses? Not just in the community when it comes to individuals that are over 21, but what are we doing for our children that are in grade school? What are we doing for them? What programs are in these different universities and colleges to help individuals cope with trauma. Uh, I am from St. Louis, Missouri, so uh, I am aware of the Michael Brown situation and with Ferguson, Missouri. How are we using these traumatic experiences that our children are, are growing through? How are we, what programs are we allowing to be there in order for them to cope how are we teaching them how to cope? Are we teaching them journaling? Are we teaching them about different breathing exercises? Are we having counselors come in and talk to them? Not just one counselor, not just one therapist, but multiple different therapists. So what are we doing for the community? So I believe that we have different programs in our grade school, all the way up to college, in our community for our students. Then we are able to change the stigma, to let them know that it's okay that you're hurting, we can normalize the stigma, but it first starts with my generation. If we are able to heal first, then we can teach the next generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are really, really great, great points. And I love that you I love that you brought that up because sometimes we can say, you know, yeah, let's talk about it. But we don't really talk about the, the, the self-care after and we don't really talk about providing a safe space because a lot of people yes. are still really, yes. really scared to really open up and to talk. So I, I love that you um, brought up those points. I think um, you're able to um, really articulate the different ways and avenues in which uh, we should change the stigma. And, and I definitely agree. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll say, you know what, let's just, you know, we have to speak more. But you've been, um, you know, you've actually given, I, I think, a pretty good template in terms of 
how do we and challenge us, I think, as a community in terms of how do we go about uh, changing the stigma and and actually making the dialogue about mental health and mental illness just normalized. So thank you so much for those points. Absolutely. Thank you. Pamela, I'm going to ask you um, a fun question. <laughs> it is a question. Sure. And I want to know if you could take one word, one word that you can say you can relate to your journey with mental illness, what is that one word that you can give? So the one word that I would like to use that will describe my journey when it comes to mental illness is, or mental health, my journey with mental health, is simply resilience. Faith plus resilience equals power. So resilience starts when the answers are unknown, but you continue to push forth. So in my life, I continue to push forth. Sometimes when we think of the word resilient, yes, it's talking about strength. Yes, it's talking about being able to recover from difficulties. But it's not saying that you cannot be weak because we will have weak moments. But what we have to learn how to do is how we take in those weak moments in order and changing them to moments that we are stronger in different areas. So my word for me is resilience. Faith plus resilience definitely equals power. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for your time. And thank you for being a part of changing the stigma on how mental health is perceived in the black community. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for this great opportunity. Before we wrap up, is there any, um, do you want to share with our audience where they can find you, where they can learn more about your organization, your social media handles, anything you want to leave with us? Sure. So my name is Pamela Davis. I am the founder of Queen of Resilience. On Instagram is Queen of Resilience and on Facebook is Queen of Resilience. Also, my personal page is the Queen of Resilience. So Follow me on Instagram and remember to be brave, censored, and definitely be resilient. Amen. I All love right. That. Beautiful, beautiful. Please make sure that we follow her, okay? Thank you so much again for your time. Thank you so much. What Pamela just uh, mentioned about going to the hospital for, for having panic attacks and anxiety is so relatable to my story. Back in 2011 when I was living in Vancouver, I, ex I experienced anxiety and I didn't know what it was when my roommate at the time she shared that the symptoms that I'm that I'm showing eating fast brushing my teeth fast walking fast doing everything fast and she said I think you're experiencing experiencing anxiety and I went into my room and I just thought anxiety white girls get that because I've never heard of a black person having anxiety but it got so bad I had to check myself into the hospital and how mine was, I, I felt like, just put your clothes in your eyes and, and, and like your heart is, 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 is beating at a million miles per second. And with every beat, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's in this cage, but the cage is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, and that's how I felt. I, I felt like I was, I, was, I was suffocating inside and I was gonna die and, and, I, and I had to take moments while I'm walking to just beat my chest, beat my chest with my hand because I was like, it is, it is tightening. When I went to the hospital and they ran all these tests on me, they did um, a CAT scan, they did x-rays, 
um, blood test, everything that you could think of, they did. And then I was there for, I was there pretty much for half a day and it came back and they said I had anxiety and um, they prescribed Valium for me. And I remember looking at Valium, the prescription, and just thinking, I remember this name. You know, I did a scene in acting class and, and, and Valium is a crazy people drug. They're trying to tell me that I'm crazy. So then I started saying, okay, mind over matter, mind over matter. And I, I was just telling myself that because I'm like, I'm gonna beat this because you're no way am I gonna accept that I'm crazy. And I remember that day specifically because it was the exact same day Prince William and Kate got married. <laughs> That's why I know that day. And I remember going home and, and forcing myself to eat my food slowly as I watched that because I stayed overnight at the hospital. So I got home in time early in the morning because England is like hours ahead of us to catch that wedding. And I just remember forcing myself to eat slowly and me thinking that I beat my anxiety. A week later, it came back so fast and, and was so impactful that I, I was in the hospital overnight and they had me on a treadmill with a heart monitor and they were testing why my heart was like that and then beating so fast and then I remember I had to go home with that heart monitor on me too and um, yeah I I was I was pretty much sick and I my family had to beg for me to come back home to Toronto beg and I was like I, I, I can't come home as a loser because I've shared a story many times, but I went to Vancouver to further my acting career. And I said, Saranoa to uh, Toronto. I'm like, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to be a superstar. And the thought of coming home to Toronto as a quote unquote loser, that spiraled into another um, part episode of mine. And that spiraled into my depression. But the panic attacks, the anxiety, I know that all too well. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.